every 10 years it changes. So if yeah, there, there are opportunities here that you don't, you don't even know yet that'll happen in the next 10 years. Jim, I want to thank you for taking the time today to come here. I've known you for what, 20, 30? Oh, it must be 30. 1984 or 5, because, no, it's after the kids were born, so 1988 to 1992 in that area. Wow. 1990 maybe, so that's wow. what, 30 years? 30 that's years, right, that's yeah. right, that's right. And you just got off your first step. How long were you on the board here? I was on the board for two years, just one, uh, one just term. Just one, one term. A uh, two year yeah. Uh, yeah. period. That's Enjoyed nice. it. Yeah, I That's thought it was a good experience. I thought it hopefully contributed a bit. No, of course you did, Jim. Where were you born? I was born in Tokyo. Uh, not, you know, I was born in Tokyo, but at that time Tokyo was considered uh, uh, a, a bigger area, and I was actually in Chiba. Uh, I was brought back to Chiba, okay. and uh, really started the, my. Uh, what first do you mean you were brought there. back to Chiba? I think I was born in a hospital in Tokyo, and my okay, mother okay. was from Chiba. Oh, then, oh so, and then you went to Chiba. So we went, it was basically in Chiba that it was right. uh, located. Do you have siblings? I have a brother and a sister. Brother and a sister. Now, both your parents aren't Japanese. My father's, in, uh, they're, both, uh, they're both American. My, my father is American, and uh, my mother uh, was Japanese. Uh, they married after the war uh, in um, 1953 or three, I think. Um, and the uh, and my mother was uh, a natural became a, a U.S. citizen afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So it's you and you said yourself and who else? A brother, younger brother, and younger sister. Are they doing okay? Yeah. No. The uh, my brother. It's interesting because I'm the only one that came back to Japan. I'll tell about a little bit about right, my okay. background. But yeah, sure. I, we, you know, we were growing. Uh, we grew up in Japan uh, in the early days, in the 50s. My brother was born two years after me. We were both in Japan early on. My sister was in Hawaii, but we'd go back and forth to Japan. And so they had a lot of Japanese experience in the 50s and 60s. Did you grow up speaking Japanese or English? Both, yeah. yeah. Was uh, your father in the service? Yes. Oh, yeah. What I branch? Explain. Uh, started in the Army Air Corps and the uh, Signal Corps and, and became the Air Force. Right in uh, in the 50s. But right. he, you know, he started before the war in the Signal Corps. And he, did he did he do a full term? I mean, did he? He's a career military, 34 years. Th was he an officer while he was in school? No, he was a, in chief, a chief master. He, made, he got all the stripes, yeah. so he was a zebra. Yeah. He was a, well, wow. you, I don't know what he is. Is that what you call him? <laughs> well, because he has anyway. all the stripes. He, he, right. he was a chief master. He was a chief master. He had all the, all the stripes you can get. He was, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, you know, 32 years around the world, you know, all over the place. Wow. And he took you all over the place. Well, just to give you an example, we, I think before I went to high school, like, we lived in nine different places. In nine different, seriously, Country. you know, far away places. We For lived. example, yeah. tell me. Well, it was Japan to begin with. Okay. Born in Japan. For how long? Until for a couple of years. Do, since you're the first child, let's do your... We, I was born in Japan for a couple of years, right. and we stayed here, and then we moved back to Maryland. Uh, I think it was Fort Meade or one of those bases there. Mm -hmm. We were there for two or three years. My brother was born there in Maryland, Baltimore. And then uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's a little bit vague because I don't remember it all, but we were, for some reason we were up in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. New Hampshire stayed up in the north part of New Hampshire while my father worked, I think, in Massachusetts. A little bit vague on that. There's an air base there, Hanscom Field. Um, that I don't know that much. I was too young for this, and I don't know much of the history. 
But then from there, we, we went out to Asia again, uh, to Hawaii first, I should say. To Hawaii, we stayed for a, a, a year or so. And then we went out to the South Pacific, to Kwajalein, which is an island in the Marshall Islands, uh, which who the heck knows what that was all about. But you know, we were out there for about a year. What was your father's job in the service, do you know? It was communications related okay, stuff. Right, you know, okay. I don't know what the heck it okay, was yeah, actually. Okay. But you know, it was re related to communications mm -hmm. and a lot of technical. And I think some of the work in Maryland and then in Massachusetts had to do with the technology. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then he was sent out to uh, Hawaii and Kwajalein because of the communications networks that had to be put together. And then back in Japan, before he was married, before he married my mother, he came to Japan in 1946. Right after the right war. Right after the war. Right after the war. So you know, he saw. He was here. Tokyo leveled. Yeah, he was in Hiroshima right after the uh, the bombing. You know, it was one of the first people into Hiroshima. You know, the, wow. the communications and doing some. But your father is he still alive or is he? He passed uh, at the age of uh, 90, uh, 92. Yeah, he was he was healthy right to the end. Yeah, we, so. They were married for um, from nineteen fifty three to. Uh, what was it, 2009, uh, so yeah. Wow. So that's a long time. <laughs> they, but anyway, getting back to the, the yes. moving around, that was Hawaii was the next uh, posting. And then from Hawaii, this is 1958 to 1960, we were going back and forth to Japan on a pretty regular basis on the, uh, the American president lines. Okay. The old, yes, yes, yes. The yes, President yes. Uh, Roosevelt, the President Cleveland. We would go in the summer and then come back uh, for family reasons. I mean, you know, we had our family there. We'd stay in, in Tokyo. So we were here uh, in the very early days in the 60s uh, as well, but short periods of time in, in, based in Hawaii. Uh, and then for, uh, let me get this all straight, but around 60, 62 or 63, Cuban Missile Crisis. And, for, and because of that, I believe, again, I don't know all the details, we, we ended up at a SAC base, a Strategic Air Command base in Barksdale, Louisiana. That's where I was stationed. You were okay, in Barksdale? I no was kidding. stationed in Barksdale. We were Louisiana. there. When I put in, what year were you Bossier there? City. Yeah. Bossier City. Tell yeah. me, my father was born in Sweetport. Shreveport, that's where he, exactly. Sweetport, right there, Spring yeah. Street, that's where he was born. Yeah. I went to see it for the first time. Wait. So this was, not, well, listen to this, Wouldn't this you, is 1962. Is you know, it's nineteen Cuban Missile Crisis in '62, I think. And that's when you were there. Yeah, I think he was. We went there for some reason out of the blue. We we were sent from uh, uh, from Hawaii to to Barksdale, uh, to Barksdale. <laughs> and that lasted until President Kennedy was assassinated in '63. Because uh, I remember, you know, I actually remember something. It was segregated, as you know. Of course, it was. I mean, it was it's really even when I went there in the '70s. So I went to a. And here's the interesting thing: my mother's Japanese. Right. So we would uh, we would try to I think we would try to figure out where do you sit? Do you sit in the back of the bus, or do you sit in the middle of the bus, or do you sit in the front of the bus? So it was always kind of a or do you go to this toilet? Could or people do you go to but that people toilet? couldn't tell that you were Asian though. For you, what about your sister? They could sister? tell my mother was Japanese. I know, but what about your brothers and sister? Well, maybe I don't. It's hard. It's hard to say. But when we we, we were with our mother, I think it was uh, it was kind of a. Uh, iffy thing, you know, back then. Because there weren't many Asians there at all. There weren't any. I don't think there were any Asians. I don't think they'd seen an Asian ever. But did you, do you remember any kind of instance where you thought? No, we ended up, it was segregated, so we were on the base. So the base is a different thing. I did, I'm, when I'm talking about segregation, uh, the, the segregation was off base in Bossier City, if you, you, know, you were there. 
Um, but not during my time. They taken all that. That all to stop. That was after. And this was sixty before sixties. The, the 60s, they started to stop it. Yes. Yeah. In the and late 60s. Uh, so on base, it was not that way. Uh, but off base, we went to the white school. We didn't go to the. the you know, there was another school for the right. for the uh, for dependence of uh, black uh, military. That's right. They went to another school off base on on a bus. So that was an interesting experience. That was sort of a. How old were you then? How old were you at this time? Uh, so 63, I was, uh, uh, let's see, 63, about 10, 12. Okay, so you're yeah. oh, so you clear, yeah, you know yeah. what's going on. I, I knew what was going on then. Um, so that, that two or three years, that was it though. But, you know, Kennedy assassinated, that was an interesting thing, you know, that the, uh, the reaction in the streets. Like, what was it? Confederate flags. They were happy as they could They were be. as happy as can be. I, I remember distinctly my father telling my mother, don't go into town. Now, the day that he was assassinated, don't go into town. Because they were there was a parade with Confederate flags. KKK? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what they were. I mean, but okay, you know, right. they said, don't go into town because it's dangerous. Well, here's the other, <laughs> other, this is what I remember. I was in grade school, the elementary school grade. So, the playground. It's basically, the base kids were from, a lot of them from the north, right? They were Yankees. They didn't know. No, they were Yankees. You were you were right. if you, you were from if right. you're from the, the north, north. Anything on the south, was north you, you of the Mason Dixon line. So the the thing, the games you played on the playground were Yankees versus the Rebels. I mean, I remember that distinctly. And the, the local guys were all the local kids were Rebels, right? Wait, and they were proud to be you a Rebel, right? And then if you came from Massachusetts, like I didn't know I came from Massachusetts. Well, we lived in Massachusetts. You're a Yankee. My father was from Massachusetts, so you got you were on that team. <laughs> <laughs> that That's, so these are the people I think that run that the, the state right now, oh, right? They're my age. They're in the sixties, and they, that was their mentality back then. Of course, it was. And right. I'm not surprised that you know there are a few difficulties still <laughs> down there today. Really, when you come right down to it, it's so interesting. I think that we're very fortunate to be expats, and I exactly. think expats around the world learn to be really culture. They so understand. Culturally, they, they realize tuned it's, to, yeah. it's a human issue. Yeah. It is not a racial one. Exactly. Well, that, that was the, the real uh, dramatic uh, contrast because, you know, it was Louisiana. Then we went back to uh, the same, 63. We went to Japan, but we went via J Hawaii, right? Hawaii was always the base. That's why I'm based in Hawaii now. It's a multicultural, multiracial, international uh, community of people. So that was a, like a dramatic contrast from the south, or even the, the north. I mean, the, the north, north is the same way. So, uh, so we always appreciated the fact that we're back here, uh, back there in Hawaii. And then we were on our way to Japan. Uh, in Japan in 60, we, we came back in 63, I think it was, 60, or maybe almost 60, right before the Olympics. Uh, and uh, and, we, and we, this place was, I think there were 500,000 U.S. troops in Japan at that time. And they were building up for the Vietnam War, right, to 368. I think it reached something higher than that. You know, two it million did, in the did, Pacific. Sure yeah. So this was Americanized. I mean, when we were on the base, uh, Fuchu, uh, or Kanto Mura afterwards, or Washington Heights downtown here, that's right, that's you were right. like you were in California. That's right. It was, it was California and Tokyo. Um, so yeah, was, I think there were two million troops between Okinawa, all over Honshu, Korea, Hawaii, Guam, 
uh, and Vietnam, uh, two million troops in Asia. That's right. That's right. So if you look at the legacy, you know, of that experience, and it's you know, there's net positives and negatives. I think because a lot of those people came back to the states and they mm -hmm. saw a different uh, that's true. view of what was going on out here. So would you stay? What were you like in school? What kind of sports did you get involved in? I played um, baseball primarily. You uh, like baseball? Uh, I've always liked baseball. I played it on the base here uh, in uh, Fuchu and Kantamura. And uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. And then in high school, I played uh, football mainly, mm -hmm. uh, football, a little bit of baseball because they were, in high school, for some reason, it was a much better quality of play, and I, I couldn't follow. I mean, I, I, maybe it was the glasses or something because I, I couldn't follow the ball as well. You mean you? You mean the quality and mean the, the quality, kids were much better. They were much, much better. Uh, much yeah. They could play better, they can pitch faster, I think, because I couldn't hit the ball. About, you can, yeah, and couldn't you can catch see. the ball, couldn't hit the ball. Uh, but it could have been the glasses. I think at one point I started wearing glasses uh, after 12 or 13, and then it just, I lost it. But the Little League was great. Okay. <laughs> Little League was awful. What about academically? How were you? Academically, I always did well. I mean, what were your subjects, subjects uh, you liked the most? All the English was, uh, was one of the uh, favorites. Uh, science, a uh, little bit of math, not a lot. Um, and uh, and then the social uh, social studies. Did your mother ever speak to you in Japanese? A little bit. She spoke. You know, it's interesting. She met my father. They they were they spoke English from the beginning. She because was. You said she's yeah. American, right? No, oh, she, she's Japanese. She, she's Japanese. Yeah, but she she became American afterwards. Okay. She became an American citizen afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she spoke English, so we we spoke English in the house. And she's doing well now. She's ninety two this ninety three this year. And she's in New York. She's she's doing well. She's she a year younger it. than my mother. She's is that right? My yeah. mother's ninety four. Ninety four. So your mother was born in nineteen twenty nine. No, it's, it's, I think it's thirty. Oh, then she's born in nineteen thirty. Thirty one. This year he'll then she's going to be ninety two. Ninety two. Yeah. Ninety two. Sorry, ninety two. My mother was born the same year this club was established. Nineteen twenty eight. So she'll be ninety four okay. this year. She'll be yeah, ninety four yeah. this year. That's right. There's a two years difference. Yeah, yeah. Thirty. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking April. She's it's actually coming up really fast. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's it's going back to where I, where we were before. Is in, in Japan during the Olympics. That was an, an exciting time. We 64? had uh, 64 summer yeah. uh, summer of 64. And Chofu's uh, right in front of the American school, the Chofu base. That's right. There was ASIJ was there, right behind course, it. Yes. And uh, but the, the dependence on the uh, military base went to the DoD school, of course right? they the did, Department yes. of Defense uh, yes. school, which was called Chofu Chofu High Elementary High School, mm -hmm. which was a great school. Yes, it's of course, a, they were. It well, was the, terrific. The, the base, the military had everything then. That yeah. was a whole different standard than what Japanese could right. afford. So when, so in so in school when high school. What did you start to focus on as far as what areas were you High school, in? you know, I started, I didn't know. You know, I had no, you're talking about high school. I did very well in high school. I was uh, at the top of the class. Where were you, here in Japan? I was at an interesting, my father's last uh, posting was in Plattsburgh, New York. So uh, in, uh, by coincidence, there was a private school in Plattsburgh that's affiliated with St. Mary's here. So St. Brothers of... Christian instruction, just by coincidence. But and then some of the brothers from that school, which is very close to Canada, where they originate, right in Quebec, uh, were actually seconded into uh, St. Mary's. So there was a, a relationship between our two schools, and I've always had a close tie with St. Mary's because of that. Um, and uh, so anyway, four years at a uh, Catholic Brothers of Christian Instruction private school in um, upstate New York. 
and I enjoyed that because it was uh, fairly rigorous uh, academics. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and finally, after I think up to that point, uh, and I didn't go through everything, but we had lived in nine different places. You know, every 18 months or something like that, we, we would move someplace else, right? So finally, my parents ag agreed that we would, I would be able to stay in one place uh, for high school. And it was a boarding school as well. So they went back to Japan. The family and came. And you stayed in Plattsburgh. And I stayed there for the four years. Um, three of them were in boarding school uh, there. And this is high school? This is 1968 to 72, yeah. So it's past high school. It was no, high school. That's, that's, that's my high school. And then, and then, okay, so then where'd you go from there? Where did you? And then, uh, and then so, so 72, I went immediately to college. And this is New York State, right? So I was up in upstate New York. From, from upstate New York, near Plattsburgh, near the Canadian border, I went down to Schenectady, Albany, Schenectady area. It was Union College uh, for four years. Um, very, uh, you know, very close by, but uh, again, a little bit more uh, uh, diverse a, a group of people that came from mainly New Jersey, Long Island, you know, the East Coast uh, places. It's more of an East Coast school. Um, and, but usually that was interesting because it was historically, right from the beginning, it's one of the oldest colleges in, in uh, the U.S. It was established in 1795. It was a men's school until the year, the years I was there, they integrated into mm -hmm. women. So half, uh, ha because they had to integrate over four years, right, uh, they were two years into the integration. And so they had to fill the upper classes with transfers from, uh, from other colleges. So I was, uh, I was living in, in dorms and then and subsequently in a fraternity where we had women living with us. And this was like a completely uh, new thing for this particular college. It was a very conservative uh, men's college. What's the name of the college? Union College. Union College. Schenectady. It's still yeah. there, obviously. Oh, yeah, it's still there. It's still doing very well. Yeah. So, but that was in it. That was, you're thinking of the 70s, right? There's a, this whole uh, explosion of women's sure. movement. And you get, these women are coming on campus, so you've got these very traditional um, uh, organization structures and attitudes from the older folk there, you know, the teachers primarily, and then the younger people, it's just, it's exploding, this whole sense of, you know, it's a Woodstock generation now. This is Woodstock. That's right. It was right, right after that. They just no, it was during that, actually. Okay, yeah, it was okay. at Woodstock. You just go down. <laughs> I was there. You it, were there? Oh, yeah. It was, because it was right there. I mean, it was, but, 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 so, I know, but you were 17 or... No, it was, you know, 17, <laughs> we're, that's, we, so 17 year olds are <laughs> probably <laughs> half the, the crowd there. 18, 20, I mean, right. max. Wow. So that was Woodstock, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then from there, 76, I came back to Japan uh, for a year. Because your family was here? Uh, your mother no, they had here. come back. My father had retired in 70, 70 71. And uh, 71, he retired and came back to Plattsburgh in 72 once I graduated from high school. So they were back in the States. And I went back because I just want to take a break and, and go back to Japan and study a little Japanese. Because I went through college thinking I was going to be a doctor or something like that, and that didn't work out. So uh, I ended up getting a, a degree in educational psychology, as we were talking about earlier. So I knew a little bit about talking to kids and, uh, and, and dealing with, with kids. So I ended up in Japan, 76, and studied Japanese. By the end of the year, I said, maybe I should be working here. I could do something. I interviewed at St. Mary's. Brother Andrew, Andrew brother, brother Andrew. Lawrence, remember those guys? I remember the Andrew. Very and, well. Anyway, got the job. 
I was I was going to so I was supposed to teach fifth grade uh, at uh, at uh, St. Mary's in the school year 1977. That's when I started teaching the but, it, but simultaneous to all this happening, I was also applying to graduate schools in the U.S. And I thought, oh, okay, we do. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe not. Who knows? I got into graduate school. So I had to make a decision whether to continue. It would have been a great life, I think, to be a teacher. You know Frank Striegel? Yes. Frank, yes. was he was there at the same time. I didn't know him at the time, but you know, we go back, we, I was talking. He took a job, and surprisingly, he's from Plattsburgh, New York. He went to Plattsburgh State University. He's from upstate New York, right? So anyway, he did it. He, he worked there for 35 years. And loved it. He loved it. But um, yeah, so so I didn't take the job there. You know, I was always I was always thought you know that was the road not taken, right? That's right. That's I didn't do that. And so what happened was I, I did go to graduate school the following year because the timing didn't work, but I, I had I could get in the following year. And I went back and I, I didn't have a job. I went back home, and they uh, I was looking for a job. This is upstate New York. You know what the job I got was the only job you could get up there was working in the prison system. This was interesting. I, I became a volunteer services uh, uh, support person, paid, but it was called volunteer services because it was a minimum security person in oh, upstate, New York, okay. upstate New York, Raybrook, where I, I spent about nine months working there on, because it, they would take the prisoners out and they would work in the community. You know, there's minimum security, mm -hmm. these are very intense. This, this is a Rockefeller you know, uh, one year to life sentence for having an ounce of it's, marijuana. I know, what <laughs> yeah. I know yeah, yeah, These yeah. were people that shouldn't know, be in prison, right? You, yeah, so right. anyway, we would work with these people to do stuff in the community. And so I, for a year and a half I was taking, I was, but I was working in the prison, which was an eye-opener for, you know, for the rest of my life because you, I saw what it was like to be incarcerated, right? To be, uh, to lose your freedoms, right? Okay. In, in a prison system like that. And I, in fact, actually, they, they allowed us to go see the maximum security prisons as well and took a tour of Danamora. Who were some of the, just briefly, what were some of the most drastic, what really set in your mind? What were some of the things that set in your mind when you saw that? The, the, one of the things that set in my mind was the, uh, the fact that uh, there's, there's two societies. There's the guards and there's the prisoners, and they actually interact. I mean, I did it to a surprising degree. There, you become personally involved, actually, with the prisoners, right? So you, you think there's like a, a wall there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that way. I mean, there's a lot of interaction between the two. You can't avoid it, actually. Um, and uh, so you've got to be on your guard, actually. And I'll, I'll tell you another interesting story about that. I, I went to college after that. I went to graduate school. I ended up in New York City at Columbia, up on 125th Street in Harlem, uh, and had an apartment overlooking 125th Street. And I'm walking down Broadway one afternoon. And I see one of the guys that was in prison with me as a, as a prisoner, and I was working there, right? That was an interesting sort of uh, 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 insight because when you're in the prison, you got this space, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, a, it's like a line, a freedom line, right? This person's incarcerated, and you're, you're sort of the, the incarcerated or the, uh, the, the guard. When they're out, it disappears. And, but you still have, you know, they were, they didn't, we didn't know how to interact almost. It was like, oh, I remember you from anywhere. It was a little bit dangerous feeling, actually, because this person is like a wild animal almost, I, was, I felt, you know, that he was out of his cage. Right, I hear you. 
it was it was weird. Anyway, the, the, there are a lot of people like that. That's the community. They came from New York. Every the most of the prison population in upstate New York prison system are people from downstate. Mm -hmm. They're from New York City. They're Hispanic and black, basically. Right. What do they do while they're in prison? What's, what was what else struck you as something that most people won't think prisons are like when you go in there? Because everyone thinks this. Let me give you first of yeah. all. Let's set it up. Okay. This is what people think when you go to prison. A person goes into prison, they go in their cell, they're fed food, they stay yeah. there, yeah, and then they come out, and that's it. They go oh, in their cell, they come out, and that's all oh, they I have to do there. That's all, that's all they can no. imagine. Well, some people are very keen on physical activity. I mean, they're, they're, they're working out constantly. I mean, and they're in great shape. So that's one thing that they're doing. Some people have a hobby, because you, know, you can do woodworking, you can do all sorts of hobbies, cooking, be in the kitchen, you could be sewing. You know, some people actually make stuff like that. And, or you can do things that are spiritually, and in, 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 you can do yoga. You, there, there was an Islamic group, you know, there's a group that they brought in, and, and the priests would come in, right? Or somebody from uh, the, the religious sector would come in and help out with that. And I was involved in that too, the volunteer services that bring people in from the community. That was a little tough too because you would have to be screened uh, uh, for that, and they were always the guards are always reluctant to have people coming in and out of the prison, of course, right? So anyway, very interesting nine months interlude before I go back to back to university uh, and study. Uh, uh, this was politics and economics in business school at Columbia mm -hmm. to get me ready to do something. And you the, didn't the question, have any idea what that it, something it, would it be? wasn't. It was really. I knew it was something to go back to the Japan. I thought it, initially it would have to, uh, something to do with government, right? The Commerce Department or something. Actually, they were telling me I should be in the Commerce Department because if you remember, 1981, which is 1980, which is when I would gradu have graduated, we're right in the thick of the Boikimasatsu, the uh, trade war. Which I mean, it was a serious trade war going on with Japan. So I was being sort of. I, to use a better word, groomed to be involved in that uh, negotiation of some sort. Uh, and uh, and uh, there was three years studying Japanese, politics, and business. And, and also working as an intern at JETRO in New York City and the Commerce Department downtown, the federal building. So it was, it was intensive. Basically, I think that's what was, was supposed to be the result that I'd be at the embassy here as a commercial service uh, mm -hmm. uh, State Department guy, but it didn't work out that way <laughs> because the last year I was there, I was we were everybody in my department. This is a, this is a group of maybe fifteen people. We're getting offers to come to Japan because the business was booming here. It was just the beginning of banking, for example. They were opening up. The, the banking market, Japan had these massive, because of the Boiki, uh, the uh, Masats, the uh, trade war, they were having these huge uh, surpluses of, uh, uh, of money uh, from the trade, but they couldn't, there was no way to really uh, uh, recycle the capital because it's in yen, right? And you have, to, you have to have mechanisms in order to recycle that. You know, and, in the earlier days, you had the, the petrodollars that were coming out mm -hmm. of uh, Saudi Arabia because, they, because of the oil shocks. They had all the, the uh, big capital uh, 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 excesses. And it's, it's in dollars, so it comes right back. In order to recycle yen, you have to have a swap. So I found out in the last years, I was working with some people in the banking sector, that you have to have a mechanism to do that. In Japan, 
you recall, up until 1984, 82 or 84, sometime between 82 and 84, there were, there were currency exchange uh, laws. You could only take a certain amount of yen out of the country. Remember that? Mm -hmm. um, most people were just restricted to like $1,000 or something like that to go on a vacation. So the Japanese were not going overseas yet. And, and there was no way to just trade FX. You know, you, you had to have an underlying trade transaction to do a, uh, uh, a trade between dollars and yen. Uh, and you had, to, you had to have certification that, that that was going on. You can't just trade arbitrage, right? So that didn't happen until 1986, I think. I mean, I'm getting the dates wrong a little bit, but it could maybe 84. And, and then in 86, things, that was the beginning of the bubble. 86, the swap market began. The ability to do long-term swaps between yen and dollars, or any other currency for that matter, yen, mm -hmm. you know, Canadian dollars, Australian dollars, or euros, and Deutsche Mark at that time, or UK pound. So, so that's what I did. In the last year, it's me and three or four other guys, actually, and, and women, were uh, recruited by the banks because they had no Japanese speakers in any number. Which bank, which bank were you? So this was Chase and City and... Dai? Daiichi? Daiichi, the heart? No, these were the American banks. Oh, the American banks. The okay. Japanese banks weren't on top of this yet. The they Japanese were, bank, they, they this innovation of doing the swap, or doing these long-dated swaps, they did FX, but they were, they were starting to do FX. They weren't doing it very, very much. But the City and Chase were the... and Morgan and, and two or three uh, European banks were the innovators in that market, but they needed Japanese speakers. So at the time, somebody gave me this statistic, they're within these disciplines, you know, accounting, lit law, and, and banking, there may be, in the whole country of the, the, whole, the entire US, there were only 600 people with any Japanese profi proficiency. proficiency. But you, you, yours had been built up by that time. I even well. I grew up in Japan, and right. and it was I studied three years of Japanese uh, and a little bit of business Japanese right. at, at Columbia, and so they were looking for people anyway. I mean, that's a, the and, and that was so your first introduction. That was your that first was a, I had no idea was, this was going to be banking. Was going so I went from being St. Mary's maybe a fifth grade teacher going back and thinking, okay, yeah, I mean that would that wouldn't have been bad. And I thought maybe this is going to lead to a, a government type of position. Mm -hmm. And then the banks, the bingo. banks, bingo. Because it, it was an absolute necessity that somebody had to do this, right? And somebody had to come over here and figure out ways to get this money back into the system. Mm -hmm. The Japanese banks weren't doing it. Wow. They didn't know how to do it. Wow. And so how long so, did you do that? How long did you do well, that? Well, that was a chase, and uh, that started. I came back before, when I came back in '81. I came here in '81. Mm -hmm. After I graduated, but you weren't married yet or anything. No, I was married in '80. We I got married to Susan in '80, and we you came met her, here in '81. You met her. At, at, I met her at Columbia. At Columbia. Like at all you want me to tell you about? Yeah, I yeah. met her. At, we were both because uh, Susan, my wife, has an international background as well. Her father was a professor of Latin American studies, and so she grew up in 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 Latin America. How many siblings does she have? She has one brother. Is she oldest? Is she the oldest? And she's the oldest. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. both of you match. But she, you know, she, she, yeah, exactly. She, she had a background, international backgrounds, multicultural, you know, Spanish and American, you know, Middle West, American. But her father was a professor of Latin American studies, and so she ended up at Columbia as an architectural student, 
but we were lied. We, we stayed at the International House, which is a wonderful organization. There's one in here and right. down the street, but this is where the one affiliated with the college. There's one at Berkeley as well, where they're students and they, they live there. They, they live together. It's multicultural. It's, it's, uh, there's debate going on. I mean, you're debating with people that, you know, at that time it was the Middle East, you know, the Lib Libyans or Egyptians or uh, Latin Americans. And yeah, it's a very friendly, uh, uh, place to to have uh, interaction multiculturally with people from around the world. So that was the the way that Susan and I got together because we were you know, there were parties all the time too. So we had to we had a lot of fun together there. And then at the end of our three years at college, uh, we got married in 1980. And we came to we came, we did a little bit of training in the banking world in, in the U.S. And then both came immediately to Japan in '81. She was working too when she came here. No, she she okay. did some consulting and uh, okay. and some spot work. Uh, okay. She worked for one of the magazines, Global okay. Architecture, uh, in editing, but uh, it was part time. And you started working with Morgan. I was with at the time it was Continental Bank. Continental Bank. Continental okay. Bank from uh, uh, Chicago. Of all the ones that were interviewing me, the the one from Continental, they they desperately needed some people here. And uh, and they were you know, they bought a, a Dutch bank in the um, uh, I forget the year but they, you know they they had a Dutch branch here Dutch bank branch here which was Continental Bank and um, it was basically commercial banking lending money I mean in through in the early 80s Japan was still borrowing loans from American banks I mean on the books when I came in I was looking at the books and and uh, we still had a loan on the book uh, to finance the Shinkansen. A world, it was guaranteed, it was a World Bank loan, you know, this was from, the, so it was probably put on the books in, in the 60s, right, early 60s, it was a 20, 30, 25 year loan or something, so it was coming to maturity in 1984 for the Shinkansen, but they had to borrow from the World Bank, can you imagine that, I mean, it was a developing country, mm -hmm, still, mm -hmm. of course, they had to in 1964. So these books, these loans were coming off the books, but we were still lending to steel companies, to shipping companies. And you know, Tokyo and Sabre were just getting going, really, in in the early '80s. I mean, they were they were they were pretty well established, but they still needed capital, and uh, so we were lending to you know companies that today you know, they, they don't need the money though, or they go to the mm -hmm. capital markets. And so th that was a transition period between '81 and '84. Is you know, still you know balances of loans on American bank books here in Japan and the European banks, mm -hmm. um, and then it's shifted because of these swaps I was mentioning here, to a capital markets bond issuance, you know, euro bonds and uh, convertible bonds and warrant bonds and, and uh, stock offerings and so forth that they picked up. And then the big, and then all the, the uh, Wall Street guys came in, including uh, the bank that I eventually worked for, Lehman Brothers. And, uh, and again, I was recruited to start their financing desk at Lehman. It became clear that the capital markets here were gonna take off. You know, the, 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 you know, again, it's the recycling of the balances. I mean, there's just mountains of money. That's right. That uh, they had to, there was no place to invest in Japan, so it had to go overseas, right? right. And so they just, it was the 86 was the beginning. So I started at, at Lehman and set up what they call the financing desk, which was where they combined the swap to go out of yen into another currency, um, uh, or to go back into yen in some cases, so that you have this convertibility on massive amounts of uh, capital 
that we're coming out of. So there was a financing desk at all the big um, uh, uh, Wall Street firms, Gold, uh, Lehman and uh, Morgan Stanley and Merrill's and Goldman Sachs. And so I ran the one at uh, Lehman during the bubble. So we were doing billions of dollars of swaps and financings and some arbitrage and and it was all happening right here at the Arc uh, Hills, 36th mm -hmm. floor. You know, there's brand new building, brand new branch, Lehman sets up. And for five years, right through the bubble, we were going 24-7. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it, it's beyond belief. And, mm -hmm. and you saw what was happening in Rapungi at oh, the time. Oh, you saw it everywhere, yeah. It was crazy. It was just money everywhere. being spent. Everywhere. Like, like, like out of this world. Yes. Because uh, it was just, you, it was, it was a challenge actually to get this money offshore. Mm -hmm. It was, you, you, you saw the movie. It was, it, it was, was a, it, yeah. yeah I mean, it's an unbelievable uh, effort to do it. I mean, physically, mentally, uh, every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. You know, so for five years that was going on. From '86 it started to '91, which is you know when when I left Lehman. Because that was the end. Just in time, yeah. That was the end, actually. Yeah. Isn't that, well, that's when the, that's when Lehman, that wasn't the Lehman show. No, no, the Lehman, Lehman that, that was in 2008. 2008. 2008. So, so that you was got away before then, no, yeah. that was the end of the bubble. That's oh, when, so yeah, the yeah, bubble, the, the, yeah, 91. That, that's 91. And, uh, and so they, they shrunk the desk after that, or they went more, what happened there, I'll tell you what happened, is it became more of a quant operator. You know, people, math, you know, computer, uh, mm. it was, it was, you had to know how to model and do arbitrages and uh, algorithms and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. That's not my field. They didn't need the laborers anymore. I started where you actually matched one party against another party. party. It was corporate, corporate finance. Exactly. We did the first, and then we, we <laughs> did, then we ran a book or something, and it was a very straightforward book yeah, that simple, you passed yeah. around. After that, these quants came in, and you know, nobody understood what they were doing, and that was the problem That's with the financial. Of course it was. That and was they the told financial. everybody they couldn't figure it out. It was so, it, yeah. That is exactly the big That's, that's right. when That's when I exited stage That's left. That's when I said I had to tell Because you. I didn't understand it. Because there was nothing nobody, to understand. Nobody, nobody, nobody could understand it. I didn't personally understand it. I don't want to manage something I can't understand. Right. And, I, and I was telling seniors about this, but oh, they were making money hand over fist. Money hand over fist. So I couldn't get, I left after that. I went back to Chase. And uh, I had an interesting introduction to uh, aircraft finance. So I, was, I, I went back to real finance, uh, which is where I started, you know, where I was taught originally, and mm -hmm. that's what I could do. It's pretty straightforward. Financing things, right? Like airplanes. Mm -hmm. So I, I, we, we did maybe 40% of the commercial aircraft finance in the world out of Japan at that time because a lot of the equity for this, those aircraft came from here and I need to tell you where that came from. It came from a lot of... <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that, that, uh, that equity was produced out of Japan and the financing were produced in the capital markets and a lot of the banks did that, the European and US banks at the beginning. So that lasted another uh, five, to, five to six years of real brisk ac activity and then the Japanese banks took that over. But the US banks started it all, you know, with Chase and Citi and and uh, some of the uh, French banks for mm. Airbus. I, we did it for Boeing for five years, five, mm. six, seven years, and then you know, the Japanese took a lot of that over. Anyway, after that, to, to cap it all off, and when, you know, when, what I did for the next 15 years after that was uh, a specialty thing. I, and this is where I think I had some interaction with you, was, uh, was high-tech equipment. I did you know, high capital, uh, big capital equipment uh, in, in, in the 
information technology, medical, medical which is where I think I interacted with a little bit with you. you and then, um, and then the really big thing was semiconductor manufacturing mm -hmm. equipment. I mean, that was huge. That and we were uh, this group I was with only did uh, that for about 10, 10, 15 years after. Who was it? Can you mention? It was originally Comdisco. That's who, that's why yeah. you came because Com. They, yeah, you, no, it's, 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 you introduced me to them, and I went yeah. to their factory to that's see what right. they had right over here by the. Um, that's right. In Akasaka. Yeah. I went to the office over there mm. and saw what they had there. But they had they had the ability to take actually take the residual risk, the equipment risk, and 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 uh, manage it right. Mm -hmm. uh, it really took real equipment risk in in, in uh, IT equipment, uh, medical equipment, mm -hmm. and then eventually in semiconductor manufacturing equipment, which in, in the end it was billions of dollars again. So you just because you know after aircraft. The, the biggest capex uh, for for manufacturing is in semiconductor, mm -hmm. uh, billions of dollars, uh, more than aircraft actually. Mm. And the interesting thing is, a lot of it's produced in Japan: Nikon, Canon, um, uh, Tokyo Electron, Advantas, and a lot of the big companies uh, were here. So you're dealing; it's like the, in aircraft, like dealing with the Boeing's. They're, they're all right here in Japan. So we we built a big, huge book. Out of that uh, portfolio, and then um, we had uh, a, a crisis or two in the middle because the, the thing with that market it goes up and down <laughs> very dramatically. And Depending what was happening in the world, yeah. yeah, went through a downturn at one point, and so GE bought us out, <laughs> and so that was it for me for a little while. Anyway, I enjoyed that business. That that was an interesting business because <laughs> there was no competition. There was no competition. I was always involved in these, all the highly competitive capital market stuff. Yeah, right. This business had zero competition, competition right. and you you made the price, you made the market, right? And so we were buying and selling the, this equipment around the world uh, and making. When the market's good, it's unbelievably good. When it's bad, it's unbelievably bad. But if you can get through the cycle. You know, it's a two to three year cycle that we used to call it the silicon cycle. Mm -hmm. If you could get through that cycle, and I ended up with a bank that allowed me to get through that cycle, then you made a fortune. So, uh, so that's where I ended up anyway. Mm -hmm. And it, but it's all it came back to being in Japan because of that, you know. And you stayed here. All of your business life has been in Japan. Now. It was. It's always been in banking, and it's always sort of uh, migrated from where there was some differentiation, mm -hmm. where you brought something. To Japan, some uh, insight or market insight or some technological insight, um, or uh, it, it it didn't exist here, mm -hmm. right? And so you you brought it, you, you made the best of it, um, but it it also had to do with being global, right? Being part of a network, because uh, I think you differentiate yourself here many 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 times by simply having a network, an international network, the Japanese. You know the train companies did it in the past, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, as dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, they they take risk, but it's it's very managed risk. They don't really go big like like a lot of American or uh, Western firms do. Mm -hmm. No, with knowledge, with right. with based on real, you know, something that uh, makes sense. Mm -hmm. But Japanese are really when it, they take risk, but they're cautious. Very cautious. Right. So you don't. They're risk adverse. Actually, they're really at risk adverse. So <laughs> you differentiate yourself That's mainly through that international network. Mm -hmm. In my experience, mm -hmm. is you know where you have people that are watching around where the arbitrages are. So where are you now in your life? I'm retired. <laughs> when, when, how old were you when you retired? I uh, I was 64. 
Okay, but you're yeah. not. Much I'm younger. retired from banking. I, I'm, okay. I'm not working anymore. I mean, it's, it's, okay. it's not. It's not. I'm managing my own things right now. My travel now is between Hawaii here, uh, and then East Coast, Boston, and uh, upstate New York, across um, where my you know where my family, family is. is right, yeah. right. So, but you're not. You're doing business of any type. I manage my own assets. Okay, it's, it's not a you know. I not a, it's just enough to keep me happy and busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's which fine. is which is fine, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. So, what would you like to end with, Jim? Would you like to end this podcast? I, with? Well, I any any sage advice or sage advice? I don't know if I can uh. do that. But the uh, <laughs> the um, the thing that you know I've always felt about um, Japan is there's a place for everybody here, and I think like you and me, we found our place. I think if the thing is, you just have to be here long enough. Japan, you know, you change, but Japan, in my experience. In the last, I've been here, you know, going way back over 50 years now. Every 10 years, it changes. So if yeah, there there are opportunities here that you don't, you don't even know yet that'll happen in the next 10 years. No, don't you think? I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think but what do you mean? You mean as far as new people opportunities, could, right? New people but the people. Can. What about the people? The people, the people change. The Japanese are changing. You, okay. it's a, it happens slowly, but they, right. when it changes, it changes dramatically. It does. And it's about. It might, I think it's almost every ten years. If you took a snapshot over the last fifty years and and, and sort of did a uh, composite of what was going on, right? Every ten. Right. It's so. there's. It's a different place. Much more dramatically so than some other places. So who knows what's going to happen next? I think it has to do with aging and healthcare. You're going to see dramatic changes in Japan related to the aging population, which will be the model. I think that'll be a, a very serious thing to look at as a model for the rest of the world. And that's happening right now. So anyway, that's, a, that's the last word. I've enjoyed it. 50 years. Every 10 years, a little change in the job, or a little change in. Uh, uh, you know, lifestyle, and I think it'll continue. I think Do it'll you see yourself ever leaving Japan? I'll always be here. I mean, that's it. I've been here too Thank long. <laughs> that's how I am. I've been yeah. here just two years short of 50. Yeah, yeah that's a years. long time. I love it. Yeah. Don't you find a place? I think it's a great place to live, yeah. a great place to have a family. Our kids grew up here. Mm -hmm. And it's also a, a great place to, uh, to learn, you know, keep because you can keep going. It's right, it doesn't stop. Right. Well, that means that since you're going to be indefinite, then that means that if I continue with this podcast, I can have you on again. It's, it, it, whenever you want. Yeah. That's what I want to hear, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Jim yeah. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it. This. Good friend. Thanks. I want to thank all of you who watched this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And remember, it's all unknown, so keep reaching for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. Mm -hmm.